some time just a little bit. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> Join your sister. Uh, she was sleeping, so but don't don't join her like that. <laughs> so everybody else got to keep it down. Open up your Bibles to Second Thessalonians chapter three. We're winding down to Second Thessalonians, First Thessalonians as well. As you know, we've been on this journey now for some time, and uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I've really just enjoyed the, this letter, these letters to the church in Thessalonica. As I mentioned before, it was a young church, uh, and it was a thriving church. It was a model church a church to be uh, commended. It was a church that uh, did, didn't have a whole lot of instruction, but did get a lot of instruction while Paul was with them. He was only with them for a short time. And of course, like any other church, they had some struggles and problems and things going on, mainly that they were being persecuted. There were things going on <clears throat> uh, within the culture, within the society. Uh, there was also some false teaching that was coming up, and um, and like every other church, they it, they had to deal with it. And in, and sometimes it's kind of difficult to deal with false prophets and and, and apostles and false teaching, uh, because some some of our very close members or uh, even family members are infected by it, and so we have to help them see what the Bible says. This is what the Word of God says. And uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, well, you know what? First of all, let me uh, let me go back to Second Thessalonians chapter one. And kind of walk you through what we've been through and what we've talked about. And uh, so Paul, first of all, says in verse 3 of chapter 1, it says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And so what Paul says, he says, I've heard of your love. It's growing abundantly. You guys are just, you know, really holding each other accountable and loving on each other. And you wouldn't hold another person accountable if you didn't love them. And that's what that's what Paul is saying. And I hear it and I see it. And your steadfast faith, and, and even in the persecution, as he goes on to say in verse 4, uh, even as you're being persecuted in all afflictions that you are enduring. So all of this love, and, and it seems like during persecution, it just builds up the body even more so. And then, it, and then, as he goes on in verses six and on, he uh, God says that you know I know that the people that are persecuting you are those of the world, and they're wicked, evil people. And remember, God's going to repay them. He says in verse six, since indeed God considered it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven and with His mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the process of your faithfulness, he's telling the people in Thessalonica, you guys are going to church, you guys are being uh, persecuted, and there's a lot of tribulation that's happening because of those people that that love you or say they love you or you love them, part of your family, and they wonder why is it that you're so committed to this Christ that died on the cross? Why are you so committed to this church? Why are you so committed to this body? Why are you so committed to them? And, and bottom line, it comes down to because I love God. And God has shown me the truth through his word. And it's his word that is changing me because his word never changes. His word changes me. And the culture is looking at you and says, but that's old stuff. That's a dead letter. And you don't have to be listening to that. You just listen to what we have to say. And Paul says, don't worry about them. 
You know, I know it's painful, especially for those that you genuinely love and those that you care for. But there's, there's going to come a time when that vengeance of God is going to unleash on them. And so if nothing else, feel compassion for them. Don't get mad at them. Feel some uh, pity for them. Uh, try to share with them the continued gospel of Jesus Christ and what he did because of our wrath, our sinfulness. And Paul is saying that's that's the that's the only thing we can do. But don't be mad at them. Don't try to you know kick them out or anything else. Stay away from them, as he says here a little bit later, in chapter two. He says to them, as a matter of fact, you know, you've been hearing, I've told you guys about the second coming of Christ and people are telling you that he's already come and, and that I wrote a letter of such thing. And he says, no, don't. He says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter that is uh, from us to, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And it's interesting because Paul nails it right here when he says do not not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit in other words there were people that were receiving these emanations or these thoughts or these dreams and and the spirit would would teach them some new revelation and they would come and say look this is what the spirit taught me i'm sure they got it from a spirit but it wasn't from the holy spirit and beloved we get a lot of that in our churches today that they hear from the spirit they hear from a spirit they hear in a dream or a vision and paul says don't let that shake you up because you got to go by the word of god even if it's something that somebody wrote that said that it came from me don't i gave you the truth this is the truth this is all the truth that you need truth never changes truth changes me but when truth seems to uh, affect people they want to switch and change their narrative well this is what i believe and I think, and I believe, the moment anybody starts off by saying that way, something like that, I think, and I believe, or I have seen, or I have seen in a vision, or I've seen in a dream, you always go back to, but what does the Word of God say? And that's what Paul is telling them. And as a matter of fact, he he's, he talks to them about the Antichrist. You know, first of all, Jesus can't return until the lawless one or Antichrist is revealed. And he goes through a great length into describing who this person is and what needs to happen. And we went through all of this. So he tells them, you know, in verse 13, to stand firm and be careful to not to be moved by anything that anybody else is uh, sharing with them. In chapter 3, he says, you know, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happening among you, that we may be delivered by wicked men, wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Paul says, I want you to pray for me. Pray for me so that the gospel can go out, so it can go out fast, speed ahead. And at the same time, remember, don't be shaken. The Lord God is faithful. He's going to establish you. He's going to ground you. He's going to develop you. He's going to build you up so that you won't fall. Jesus himself said this, anyone who hears these words of mine is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the winds blew, the floods rose, and the house on that rock stood firm. And then he goes on the other side. He says, you know what? And here's what's going to happen. If you hear these words of mine and you do not put them into practice, that same rain is going to fall, that same wind is going to blow, and that same flood is going to rise. And guess what? It's not going to stand because that man built his house on sand. And any other teaching, any, anything else outside of the Bible is people building their house on shaky ground. And Paul says, God's going to establish you. 
In his word, he's going to give you that foundation because you have been listening to that foundation. And last week, we talked about uh, warning against idleness. And I mentioned that in this portion of scripture, Paul devotes a lot of time. Right at the end of the chapter, he devotes a lot of space, a lot of verses from verse 8 all the way down to verse 15. Almost as much as he spent on the lawless one. Almost as much as he spent in chapter 1 of the uh, second coming of Christ, the rapture. He invests a lot of time in this, so this was very important to him. Right? You know, before I leave, Paul says, I want you to warn these people, you know, because first of all, stay away from them. He says, now, now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the traditions that you have received. And again, people were not working, and uh, Paul says, this is his famous part where he says a little bit later, if a man does not work, he does not eat. And for whatever reason, they were waiting. Paul, you know, people were saying, what are these guys doing? Paul said Jesus Christ was coming back soon. <laughs> As a matter of fact, some people said that he's already coming. He's already here. So what we're doing is we're waiting. We left our jobs. We left our homes. We're hitting here, and we're just standing here waiting. So why are you giving them food? Well, because they don't work. You know, they're waiting for Jesus. <laughs> and Paul says, don't, if he's not going to work, don't feed him. He's lazy. And we went through a whole sermon yet last sunday a whole message on what it means to work work is a blessing work is not a curse as some people would uh, make it to be work is a blessing he's blessed you so that you can uh, bless him and bless others as well he's blessed you with work and the ability to work and and just the, the satisfaction of work it's always been as a matter of fact in the ten commandments it's even in there he says you shall work six days he says that, but on the seventh day, you shall rest. I know a lot of people say, well, that's about the Sabbath. Yes, it is, but it's also about work. You shall work six days. In, in the Garden of Eden, as we talked about last week, uh, he said, he, God said that he planted the garden and he put man in the garden, this perfect garden. He put him in the garden to work it so that it can grow and develop and give them food. We are to be busy about our, our lives and whatever we do at home. or uh, We can't just be sitting at home. And this, this notion in our culture has, has grown uh, and has breeded a, uh, an understanding or a, a, you know, a laziness, entitlement, where people feel they're entitled to other people's goods. You know, they don't have to work for it because the government is going to give to them. Paul says if they don't work, they don't eat. That's just it. Well, what about all the homeless people? They don't work. They don't eat. Well, they, some of them can't work. You're right. Some people cannot work. You're right. There are some people that just are not physically able, mentally able. And yes, we should be taking care of people like that. And there's people that it, it would be, like I said last week, it would be as if, if me uh, demanding that my, my daughter work in our house because she lives there. She can't. Though Social Security says she's been working all over the United States. She's got all kinds of money coming in. Supposedly, they called us and say, hey, how come she's working? She's not working. Well, it says here she is. <laughs> uh, false identity. Anyways, the, the, point of the, the point I'm trying to make is, that, yes, there are some people that cannot work. And we should, the church should take care of them. We should. And not the government, but the church. But this whole culture of you know, entitlement. And so Paul says, he's very, very stern on this. Um, in, in, in verse 13 of this chapter, he says, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, once again, that he may be ashamed. And the whole process of this is, you know, you, 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 you put yourself aside and say, you know what, have nothing to do with them. At the very beginning of this portion, he says, We command you that you keep away from certain people, these lazy people, these entitled people. He says, Keep away from them. And also, we want you to have nothing to do with them and put them out. 
So that that way they're looking from outside into the church. And the church says, you know, the church is saying, look, if you want to be a part of our body, you need to contribute. You know, okay, I know you can. If you can't, we'll help you. If you're not able to, we'll take care of you. For those of you that can't work, you should be working. Bottom line. The bad thing about trying to uh, put this law or this practice into our practice today is you have to remember that in Thessalonica, it was just the church in Thessalonica. It was that one church. It was as if Paul was reading and writing a letter to the people in San Bernardino. It's just one church. One church. I want to write to the church in San Bernardino. Unfortunately, in San Bernardino, we have churches all around us. And people get upset and they get mad. And, and we try to uh, help them and discipline them. And look, we need to put you out. They say, well, you know, forget you. I don't need you. I'll just go to the next church down the street. And if they get mad at me, I'll just go to the next church around the corner. I mean, I got, I got all kinds of choices. I can go to any church I want because they're all over the place. And, uh, and they can. And so to put this into practice, it's a very delicate situation because some people just get offended very quickly because you tell them, says, look, this is what the word says. And they go. And we're trying not to put people out. That's not our goal. Our goal is to help you grow. However, you know, we have churches and, and people, you know, that, that, uh, that have done this, they've done this over and over again. So it's, it's one of those fine lines that we have to kind of balance out. It's God's word and we have to work on that. Now, so today we're going through verse 16 where it says, here Paul's, it's called the benediction. In other words, this is the end. This is the prayer. This is where, where he's going to just end everything uh, that he's going to be talking about. He's already done chap, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 Thessalonians, and now this is the, the end of his letter. And he starts off in verse 16. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And this portion of scripture, let's, let's pray before we go on. Father in heaven, thank you once again for giving us this um, enormous letter, this great letter that Paul wrote to the people in Thessalonica. There are many, many parts of it that we can relate to. Many parts that we put into practice already within our own life and within this church body. And we've taken from what Paul has stated in us and given us uh, direction an influence on your word, but also confirmation in some of the things that we are already doing. And we thank you for that, Father. Because <laughs> as we said, stated earlier, your truth never changes. Your truth changes us. So as we try to be as genuine and as authentic and as real to your word as possible, Lord, help us to apply this portion as well to our lives and to this church. We know that you are the Lord of peace. And in this time of the year, as we sing peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners are reconciled. We pray, God, that you give us that peace that only comes from you. So, Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for how it's been preserved and what you've done with, it, with your word in our life and the great blessings that are still to come, we pray. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. Paul says, and let me just jump to verse 17, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. More than likely, he had somebody else, as he did in all his letters, writing his letters. And so it was very easy to forge one of Paul's letters to say, well, look, I mean, he had me write this letter for him. Really, Paul? Yeah, well, and Paul knew that, as he had said earlier, uh, as we talked about that, that we, he says, you know, even if you have a, somebody coming to you with a spirit, you know, that they got a revelation, a new revelation, or by letter, supposedly by me, you know my letters. I always sign them just like this. 
And it is believed that Paul was pretty much crippled by this time. He was blind. He was beat up. He probably had arthritis, and he couldn't write too well. And, and so when he put his name on there, Paul, as he put his letters on there, people say, oh, yeah, that's Paul's authentic signature. That we recognize. He couldn't forge that. And so Paul is basically saying, this is something that God has given me that I'm giving to you. But let's go to verse 16. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you what it is that you need. Give you peace at all times in every way. This was his introduction, and he starts to express his heart in a prayerful benediction to to God for them. And he's praying to God, and he's asking them, and he's asking God that the, the, the Lord of peace give them the peace that only he can give. This peace, first of all, it's not like what the world defines. The world defines peace as a sense of calm or tranquility or quietness or contentment, a well-being that comes from everything going well. Everything is just copacetic, as they would say. And and everything, it, it all depends on my circumstances. And frankly, that kind of peace is a shallow, uh, very very just shallow and superficial type of peace. Because at any time, and you know this, at any time you can be sitting there, oh, this is so peaceful. Oh, this is so great. And all of a sudden, boom, your phone goes off. Or boom, somebody gets mad at you. Or boom, you know, there's all kinds of noise and corruption going on around you. And it, it does not last. That kind of peace does not last. It's very shallow. It's superficial. Many people are looking for this. Some people think that they can come to this type of peace as long as there's no war. As long as I get rid of all my enemies. As long as I'm not at all with anybody then I can have this peace and that's kind of the world uh, that we live in people want to find this peace and, and they do so by by doing all kinds of things by getting away by by going into different places and uh, you know trying to get as far away as possible from people but they delude themselves and they deceive themselves and they expect a good fortune and they think that by the uh, the absence of conflict and trouble uh, they can get there and some people try this with drugs and with alcohol even a good night's sleep but such peace is fleeting and easily destroyed, and, and it can, can be snatched away right away at the arrival of conflict and trouble. And all of this, all of this, what it does, it, 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 this kind of fear can be taken away by failure or by doubt. If you've ever failed, you know, sometimes there's, a, there's this fear, or if you have doubt about something that's coming on, you have no peace about that. Sometimes it's fear or bitterness or anger or pride or difficulty or guilt, regret, sorrow, anxiety over circumstances beyond your control, things that are going on beyond what you can, you can actually handle or control. Being disrespected or being disappointed or mistreated by others, making bad decisions, all of these things can just knock your peaceful world out of sync. But see, that's not the peace that God can give you. God gives you a lasting peace, a true peace, a spiritual peace. And this is why when, when Jesus Christ was born uh, in Isaiah chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 6, he says, and unto you a child is born. And he calls him the prince of peace. Not only does he have peace, not only is he able to give peace, but he controls and gives this peace, as we will see here. Number one, it is a divine peace. It is a divine peace. The peace that God gives his beloved children is a divine peace. May the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, the Lord, God himself, he himself do this. May he do this for you. You know what Paul is saying here? I want you to have this peace. You know, and may he himself give it to you. Because this peace that you have right now in you, it's, it's fleeting. And you know that. 
And so you have to continually ask God to give you this peace. And this peace, as we'll see here in just a bit, is already in you. And, uh, and, it, and, it, and it, it, it falls away. Because a lot of times we're walking in disobedience. We do things that we shouldn't do. We make decisions based upon our emotions, make decisions based upon what we think is right. And God is at all time in perfect peace without any discord with himself. He is never under stress, worried, anxious, fearful, unsure, or he's never threatened. That's just the way who God is. He is always perfectly calm, tranquil, and content. There is no surprises that can take God by surprise. Nothing that can ever happen. His sovereignty, no doubt, you know, it, it, it covers all his wisdom and his sovereignty. No sin can stain his holiness. And even when he has wrath and he's dis- displayed his wrath, it is clear and it is controlled. It is calm. It is confident. And he has perfect peace about the wrath that he has to display. That's our God. Scripture makes it clear that peace is characterized and flows from every member of the Trinity. In Romans chapter 15, verse 33, it says, May the God of peace be with you always. In uh, Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, it says, For God is not a God of confusion, but what? He is a God of peace. Yes, and in Philippians 4, 9, it says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and guess what? The God of peace will be with you. And Paul was constantly telling the people, Look, this, I've put this into practice myself. I've done it. If anybody should be out of kilter or, you know, trying to get peace in this world, it should be me. You know, I'm being persecuted. I'm being kicked out of cities. I'm being chased out of town. I'm being lied about. I'm being, you know, and, and, and you know what? I, I can have perfect peace. He says, imitate me. Imitate me. Walk in the way that I walk. He says over and over again to the people in Corinth and in Galatia, we saw this. Imitate us. Look at us and how we can have this, this perfect peace in spite of all this turmoil. While he was in prison, he wrote the book of Philippians. And in Philippians, he was in prison. In that, we call that the most joyous epistle of the whole Bible. He was in perfect peace. And he says, rejoice. And I'll say it again. Rejoice. Have a great time. And he, while he was in prison, waiting execution. <clears throat> and he says, God, the God of peace. And we know that the God of peace has given us all that we have, and he is the peace, the, the peacemaker. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, as I said a little while ago, for unto us, this is in your outlines, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace, and he gives you that peace, and he gives this peace. Now, you have to understand one thing. And one thing is this, is that I was trying to make the, uh, the juxtaposition of, of uh, the world peace and with God's peace. Is God's peace is only given to the believer. The world has the world peace. They can't experience this godly peace because God only gives it to those that recognize that he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. It is a divine peace that comes to those that he has made righteous. As a matter of fact, when, when Jesus Christ uh, was born and the angel, when he invaded the world and, and he came, was born in the flesh, and the first time for over almost 500 years, Ichabod had happened prior to this, 400 years 
prior to this, God's glory was not seen on the planet. God did not speak to people in prophets and dreams and in visions. He never came. He didn't come back down. Once the temple was devoid of his glory, the glory left the temple and it went up on top of the temple and people saw that the glory of God was there. And from there, the glory of God went to the top of the mountain and they saw it just kind of disappearing or going away. Then all of a sudden from on top of the mountain, it takes off and they call that mountain Ichabod. The glory of God is gone. And that glory was gone until this day when the angels showed up and the glory of God was all around them. And it's interesting, if you think about this, that the angels came and God invaded the planet. And he came first and foremost to give that good news to shepherds. Shepherds. Shepherds were considered the lowest class of all. Bless you. Shepherds were considered the, 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 you know, the outcasts of society. You couldn't trust the shepherd is what they used to say. As a matter of fact, they couldn't even go to court and, and testify. I saw the, I oh, know you're a shepherd. We, we don't believe you. Uh, you know, you, they, they couldn't even enter the temple because they were considered to be shepherds. The lowest class of society, that's where God showed his glory again. The glory of God re, re, returned and we call that the intertestamental period, the 400 years. If you look at your Old Testament and New Testament, right in the middle of your Bible, there's that blank page. That blank page represents 400 years of silence that God did not speak. And then glory to God, the, the glory of God came and, and the, the angels were singing glory to God on the, high, on the highest and on earth, peace among those in whom he is pleased. He gave this peace to the shepherds. And this peace, we'll talk about this next week, this peace is not given to just anybody. Because I know he's not pleased with the unrighteous. I know he's not pleased with the unholy. I know he's not pleased with the wicked. I know he's not pleased with the unbeliever. But he is pleased with those whom have received him and understand him and recognize him and have changed their life. These shepherds, for whatever they were doing, they were, they were just watching. And they may have been talking about God. They may have been going over the Old Testament. They may have been all kinds of things. They, they had no clue as to what was going to happen. And boom, God shows up, just like he did in your life. Boom, he just showed up. And what, what that does, it, what it should do, is cause fear, because they were fear. Fear not, they said to the angels. It should cause reverence. It should cause you to fall on your face. It should cause you to realize, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And I know who I am, and I know who the people that I hang around with are, and we're sinners. God, as Peter would say to Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. That's what the glory of God ought to do to you. And it's interesting that a lot of people have written books about seeing God and the glory of God and hanging out with God and playing football with God and holding hands with God and hanging out in the meadows with God. The movies have been made about this encounter that people supposedly have with God. If you have an encounter with God, that's the last thing you want to do is write about it. You just want to have humility and recognize that, you know, whatever, that God did not zap you. But this peace that he gives you, it surpasses all understanding. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, 14, it says here, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This peace that we can have as we know that, you know what? Yes, I'm a sinner, but God has given me peace because of his son, Jesus Christ. There's no hostility between me and him anymore. There was a time when I had enmity before God, and I had enmity about God, and I didn't want anything to do with God. I wanted his benefits. I wanted his blessings. But to say that I want to, I want to have God in my life, it, it, it cramps people's style. I don't want that. I mean, yes, God, take me to heaven when I die. But, you know, just let me continue doing what I'm doing. Let me continue just living my life the way I want to live. Say what I want to say. Do what I want to do. And then when we meet in heaven, then you can let me in. And then we'll talk about that. Because by that time, I should have all of eternity to be able to hang out with you. Just let me live my life. Because it's my life anyways, right, God? You see, when you have a genuine encounter with God, when you have a genuine encounter with God, you have the most utmost humility, understanding what he saved you from and why you have salvation. You know what God saved you from? You know what he saved you from? He saved you from himself. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you would not experience the wrath of God. And God himself sent his son onto this planet so that you would not suffer that wrath. That's what he saved you from. He saved you from himself. Because his wrath is righteous. His judgment is righteous. And he's going to deal with the world, as we said a little while ago. And he's going to deal with them. And so, yes, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. And there's nothing in the world that you can do to please him more than he is pleased with you right now. You can't do anything for your salvation. You cannot earn it. You cannot uh, pay for it. For it is by grace that you're saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Grace in its understanding. Grace is unmerited. You don't deserve it. That's the basic definition of grace. It's something that you get because you don't deserve. You don't, you don't deserve it. You can't work for it. You can't, you can't work for it. Not, not, not by works, he goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Not by works so that anyone could boast. But it is by grace that he's given it to you. And he himself is the one that gives you this grace. And because he gives you this grace, he gives you this peace that's available to you. We'll see this here in just a bit. The Holy Spirit is also a participant in this. Not only is God and Jesus Christ, but in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control. It is his peace, the Holy Spirit's peace. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Holy. It is a triune peace that comes from a triune God. In Romans 14, 17, it says, and this is in your outlines, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Number two, it is a direct gift from God. It's not only a divine gift, but it's also a direct gift. This gift, it can't come from anyone else. It is, a good, it, it is his good pleasure to graciously grant to those who belong to him. In, in the priestly pl- prayer of uh, Numbers chapter 6, he told them, he says, here's how you ought to pray for the people. And you pray over them, Aaron. You say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
May God himself give you that peace. If I can give you anything for Christmas, it is this one prayer. It is this one word, Romans number six, that the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you this peace that only comes from him. Many people are looking for that perfect gift to receive and to give. This is the perfect gift. In Psalms 29, 11, he says, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Shalom. This peace, this shalom is not this absence of war or absence of uh, enemies or tribulations. It's not just having no kind of conflict whatsoever. But for shalom to make, make a sense in the Jewish people, and we need to understand, <clears throat> is that they would greet each other with shalom. And they would say goodbye. They would say shalom. It was both a, a greeting and a departing uh, word that they would use. And basically what they were saying is when they said shalom, they were saying, may you be content and full and prosperous. May you be whole and healthy and all things that God can give you. They say shalom. As a matter of fact, they would ask from time to time, how is your shalom? How is your contentment? How is your peace? How is your, um, how's there all those things that I just mentioned, your wholeness, your well-being? How is that? And they would, they would work with that with kings and, and other kings. They would talk about their shalom, their peace. You know, and, it, and if it wasn't good, it would cause strife. Yes, it, it does mean no war. It does mean you know, no conflict. It does mean that as well. But it's more than just the shallow peace that the world gives. And so when, when David would pray, may the Lord bless his people with shalom, with fullness, with completeness, with, with wellness. In Psalm 85 85, eight, it says, let me hear what the God, what God, the Lord will speak for. He will speak peace to his people and to his saints. In Romans 15, 13, it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Peace also comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus himself says, and this is, I believe is in the back of your outlines. Jesus himself said, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give you? You see, Jesus Christ himself even identified it. You know this. You understand what the world's peace is like. Some of you have tasted it, and some of you are still trying to find it, and you cannot grasp it because it's the world peace. And Jesus says, that's not the kind of peace I'm giving you. My peace is totally different. He says, I leave you with peace during your persecution, during your tribulations, during your trials, during everything, you will have peace. This is not as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled, never, neither let them be afraid. And then he says later on in 1633, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. As a matter of fact, Jesus even promised, yeah, you will have tribulations, you'll have troubles, you'll have struggles, things are going to happen. Oh, it's going to happen. A lot of it is because of Jesus Christ. He says, a lot of it is because of me. They hated me first. They're going to hate you. They will. And just be ready for it. But you know what? Don't worry about it because I'm going to give you this peace. And uh, though the world might hate you, guess what? I've overcome this world. This world, I've, I've dealt with it. And it's over with. And so he says to them, peace I give you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so I said earlier, there is no peace for the unbelievers. And here's some verses just to kind of back that up. In, in um. God doesn't give this, this true spiritual peace to unbelievers 
for it is a feature of salvation. It is a part of salvation. It comes to you when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. He makes you righteous. You are right before his eyes. You have been justified. Justified, never sin. That's how he sees you now. And so we have to understand that this peace cannot come to other people around you. And you wonder, why don't you see it? Because they don't have that peace. How come? Why are you so much in turmoil? Why are you so anxious? Why, why does everything seem to bother you? How come it just seems, just one phone call, one word, one, you know, boom, everything blows up. How can that happen to you? Paul says, I don't let that happen to me because I have peace. And Isaiah 48, 22 says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There is no peace. As a matter of fact, this is a common thread in, through Isaiah. In Isaiah 57, 21, he says, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There is no peace, there is no peace, there is no peace. In Ezekiel 13, verse 10, he says, precisely because they have misled my people by saying peace, when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, their prophets smear it with whitewash. The prophets of old, of uh, the, the false prophets, hey, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. God loves you. He understands. He knows your heart. He knows how, he knows your heart. Don't worry about whatever else is. You will have peace. It's going to be good. Are you sure? Yeah. It's, don't worry about it. Look at me. And God says, that's not the kind of peace I'm giving you. You mean I can be, you know, I, I can be wicked and do whatever I want? Yeah, go ahead. It's Because God's forgiven you, remember? He saved you. He sent Jesus Christ down on the cross. He died for all sins. Remember the sins that you committed in the past, those that you're going to do right now, and also the sins that you're going to do in the future. So don't worry about it. Once saved, always saved. Remember that? Oh, yeah, okay. I'll see you later. It's interesting that people think that they can actually operate in that sense. As a matter of fact, there's a writer, Thomas Watson, that says, Peace flows from sanctification. Remember, sanctification is being set apart. That's what God is doing to us right now. He's setting us apart. It, it flows from sanctification, but they, be, uh, they being unregenerate, those that haven't been saved, have nothing to do with peace. They may have a truce, but no peace. God may forbear the wicked a while. In other words, God might just, okay, well, you know, do what you got to do, and I'll take care of it. And a lot of the wicked, they continue on, and they continue on thinking, hey, God's okay with it. God's okay with it. I'm not going to die. As Satan told the lie to Eve and Adam, you're not going to die. Come on, God's not going to kill you. He's a loving God. Continue doing what you want to do. The wicked may have something which looks like peace, but it is not. They may be fearless and stupid, but there is a great difference between a, a stupefied conscience and a pacified conscience. This is the devil's peace. He rocks men in the cradle of security. He cries peace, peace when men are on the precipice or right at the edge of hell. And the, the seeming peace a sinner has is not from the knowledge of happiness, but the ignorance of its danger. And this peace that people believe they have, you know, just I can do whatever I want. I can go wherever I want. I can continue to go. And uh, it doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, in... Um, well, let me read these verses first before I get there. In, in Psalms 85.10, it says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet righteousness and peace. Kiss each other. Peace comes with righteousness. You're not made righteous until the blood of Christ has been applied to your life. In Isaiah 32.17, the effect of righteousness will be peace. In other words, when you're righteous, you'll have that peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. And in, in Deuteronomy 29, this is what I was trying to get at. Only foolish, deceived people can boast about, you know, 
this. Deuteronomy 29, 19 says, one, when he, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall be safe though I walk in stubbornness of my heart. This will lead the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. And the New American Standard Version says this, I have peace, though I walk in stubbornness of my heart. I'm good. Yeah, so what? I'm not, you know, my heart, God knows my heart. Well, you know what the Bible says in Jeremiah? Jeremiah says, yeah, he knows your heart. And he says that your heart is wicked and deceitful beyond cure. That's what he says about your heart. You hear people say, follow your heart. They're basically telling you, follow the devil because your heart is deceitful and wicked and beyond cure. You need a savior. And people that go and say, you know, uh, you know, who hears the words of this? He says, I, I, I bless myself. I'm good. I went to church today. I even cried a little bit. I felt bad about what I'm doing, what I did yesterday. I'm doing today and I'm going to do tomorrow. I feel bad about that, you know, but hey, me and God, we're tight. You know, me and JC, we, we're all right. You know, we're all right. Me and the man upstairs, you know, and I, I don't like that phrase. You know, they, they belittle the sovereignty of God. Me and the guy, the big guy in the sky, you know, we're, we're good. You know, and, and it's, no, you're not. If you have an attitude like that. And that's what, that's what Moses says. That people say, I, I have peace, though I walk in stubbornness. And they know they're walking in stubbornness. Hey, it's all right. God's going to forgive me. He loves me. I'm his favorite child. I even got a t-shirt that says that. I'm, his, I'm God's favorite. People walk around with that t-shirt. While people are, 1 Thessalonians 5.3, Paul said this as we studied 1 Thessalonians. While people are saying there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And so the world tries to give this peace and this illusion, and, and it fills every sense of your body. It, it fills the, the emotional sense, the intellectual sense, the physical sense, and it fills you. Oh, this, it feels good. It sounds good, and, and, and I, it makes me feel good. Remember, there's only a peace that comes from God, and, and this peace is not for everyone in the world. This peace is only for the believer. Number three, it is available daily. And I say this daily because... Though we can have this peace, it gets interrupted, and we have to get it restored. It gets interrupted by our disobedience, by our doubts, by our fears, by our anxieties, and it destroys this peace that we have. Sometimes a Christian is weak or disobedient and might find his, this peace disturbed because he's trying to base his peace on everything else around him. But all he has to do is tap in to this daily peace that God gives he gives you blessings every day. He doesn't give you yesterday's blessings. He's not going to give you tomorrow's blessings. He blesses you today just for a time like this. And beloved, I understand. Oh, I tell you, I, under, I know. I, I know how uh, turmoil can be and trouble can be and tribulations can be. I, I understand that. And there's times that I just fall away from that. I, you know what, God? I'm just going to do this on my own. <coughs> You know, I'm, I'm at a point right now in my life where I, I don't want anything to do with, with my family. You know, but you know what? I'm at a point now where I says, you know what, God? Why am I upset about those types of things? And I'm not talking about my immediate family. I'm talking about my brothers and sisters. Yeah, I'm, I'm at a point where I'm just fed up. And then something like this happens in, my, in our life. And so now I'm making a journey to, first of all, and I've already done so, offered forgiveness. Please forgive me for even thinking like that. I have a peace about all that's going on. 
I have a piece of what's happening. I need to take the next step and find out what it is that needs to happen. Maybe nothing, but I, I got, it's, it's not a matter of what can happen or what I can do or what I cannot do. It's a matter of being in perfect peace and letting God do the rest. Amen? And, and so that's, that's the part that I think a lot of people just don't understand. And this daily peace, it just didn't come to me just all of a sudden. And, it was, and it's something that I personally had to deal with. And I ask you to forgive me as your pastor. Uh, and, and I'm just, and I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I understand it doesn't happen automatically. We have to tap in and understand that God gives us a daily peace. In Psalm 42, 11, it says, why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil with, within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist is asking himself, why? Why am I, why am I this, in this way? Sometimes you might need to talk to somebody. Sometimes you might just need to talk it out. Sometimes you might just need to get you and yourself before God and find out, Lord, why am I so anxious and worried and mad and or what depressed and why you know why am I being so disobedient? Bottom line, that's what it is. You're being disobedient. Jesus said, "Who are you by worrying can add a single day to your life?" He says, "Look at the birds. They don't worry." God feeds them all the time. Look at the fields and the, and the look at the uh, the flowers in the fields, the lilies. They don't work. They don't toil. God dresses them prettier than any other place that I've ever seen. You know, if He feeds the birds and He dresses the fields, why do you worry? Oh, you of little faith! You're acting like a non-believer. Why are you worried? And He goes on to say, He says, you know, the non-believer, yeah, they they should worry. <laughs> They shall worry, and they should worry. It's unnatural. It's unchristian. It's unhealthy. It is. You worry enough, guess what? Your stomach will keep, your body will keep score. You'll get ulcers, stomach aches, uh, all kinds of stomach problems. You'll get headaches, insomnia. Uh, you'll get depression. You'll, 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 you'll be able to, you, won't, you won't be able to get up. You won't be able to walk around. You're all kind of high blood pressure, sugar diabetes comes from worry and anxiety. Some of those things can even cause cancer because your body's keeping score. You know, some people say, I, you know, I'm worried sick. Yeah, you are. I'll never forgive that person if it's the, if, even if it kills me. What's exactly what's going to happen if you don't get rid of that guilt and shame and everything else? You know, because at the end of that portion of Scripture, in Matthew chapter 6, 33, Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek God's kingdom. In other words, worship him, praise him, focus on him. Focus on the peace that only he can give you. What do you think? Why do you think he invaded this planet? He invaded this planet to become Emmanuel, God with us. Not just so we can give presents, have a Christmas tree, lights on our house, tamales. Well, maybe for tamales. No. <laughs> I think maybe that's why, no. I love tamales, right? Why are you downcast? Oh, my soul, why? I did just When you put it all into perspective, an eternal uh, perspective, I'm going to be in eternity with God. And this is, yeah, it hurts. It's going to last maybe a day or two, maybe a week, maybe a year, you know, maybe even 10 years. Heck, it could probably last the rest of my life, but it's nothing compared to eternity. Seek first the kingdom of God. In Psalm 94, this is in your outlines, in Psalm 94, 12, he says, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. 
Sometimes the discipline that we go through is part of that, and we just don't have peace about it. Have peace in it. Pro- Solomon says in Proverbs 3, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And the writer to the Hebrews said the same thing in Hebrews 12. He says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. If you're not being disciplined, if you're not being chastised, if you're not going through those types of things, then you need to step back and figure out, okay, Lord, how come? Aren't I your child? I mean, maybe. Just, I'm just throwing this out there. Just maybe, maybe, maybe you're walking perfectly. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you do have a perfect walk with God. And you probably don't even go swimming. You go walking across the water. I don't know. <laughs> some, some of you, you know, some of you have this halo about you. That's, it, it could be possible. Maybe you've got your life right in order the way God wants you to have it. That's why you're not going through discipline. Or maybe, just maybe, you're not his child. You, you know, I, uh, I know that there's some kids that are running around. It's like that lady said, you know, I, I, I got tired of the kids. And finally, I just had to slap them and smack them. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute, I don't have children. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't have kids. Sometimes I want to smack the, the neighbor's kids, but those aren't my kids. You know, and, and uh, sometimes you might want to feel like doing that. But you know what? God says, I'm not disciplining the devil's kids. They're, they're already done. Those are, I'm disciplining mine because I want them to get better. I don't want them to continue on in the path they're going. And so this, this is why we should not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 12, I mean, it's full of instruction about the discipline that the Lord gives you. And, and it's interesting because we, we come to see, you know, our discipline. And some of the troubles that we go through as Christians is God hates me. God doesn't like me. God doesn't, you know, you know I did something wrong. Well, maybe you did do something wrong. Let's correct that. Let's find out what's going on in your life. You know, I mean, if <clears throat> I did a funeral with some guy one time <clears throat> and his daughter says he always thought that God was punishing him. He always thought that my dad, my, my dad always thought that God was punishing him because of all the things he'd done. He wasn't punishing him. He was, you know, those th- you, you smoke and drink and, and all that, eat, what, eat whatever and, and stuff. And then and at the end of your life, you're, you're got diabetes, got cancer, got whatever. That's not God's fault. That's your fault. You did that. You did that to yourself. You know, God has just given you what you wanted. You know, God didn't do that to you. But we're really quick to blame God for all the bad things that happen in our life. You see, if you're a genuine Christian, he's punishing you. He wants you to get better. He says, you know what, you need to back off on that kind of stuff. And he disciplines us. Some people go through financial problems. Oh, God hates me. God's mad at me. God, you know, No, he's disciplining you. Some people go through health problems, relationship problems. Some people go through you know, uh, husband and wife problems. It's because we're not equally yoked or we're not looking at God's word together. Some people lose jobs because of their, you know, whatever. We talked about that last week. Some people lose jobs because they're, they're lazy or they don't want to work or they don't want to follow instructions. I do whatever I want. And you know what? No, you can't. Not here. You can do whatever you want, but you just can't do it here. And they're fired. Oh, God hates me. God, you know, no. You know, sometimes God has to discipline us and direct us and move us in the right direction. And I think one of, the, one of the greatest disciplines that has happened in a lot of people's lives is that they get arrested. They do time in prison. Do you know that people in prison have probably the strongest and the most authentic relationships with God than most of us on the outside? You know, it's, 
it's not it's not right. I mean, it's I mean, I, I can think of a lot of be- other better ways to have a good relationship with God. You know, but sometimes God has to put you in a place where he can have your full attention. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, Sal, you're running too fast. You're going too fast. You're doing too much stuff. I'm going to have to make you lie down. (laughs) I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures so you can see that I'm your shepherd. You don't have to worry yourself about all these things. He will make you lie down. Beloved, just take the discipline. Correct the, 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 the error. Understand what the word of the Lord says. Apply it to your life. Apply it to everything that you do. And you know what? Let God take care of the rest. Because that's how you find this divine peace. And the last thing I just want to share with you is this. It exists in every development. Yeah. I couldn't find another D word for circumstance. I'm sorry. (laughs) I try to be cute there. You know, God gives you this peace in every circumstance. And everything that develops in your life. And anything that comes to your life, it's there. There is nothing that you're going to go through that that peace is not available for. It is there. In Philippians 1.6, you see, and the one thing that God had said, you know, I, he's going to start you off and you're going to continue going in him because he's not going to leave your side. We talked about this last week. Jesus said, those whom the Father has given me are in my hand. We are in Jesus' hand. And then he goes on to say, and those whom the Father loves and is drawn to himself are in the Father's hand. You you are secure in Jesus' hand and in the Father's hand. And then when you're saved, the Holy Spirit seals you all together as a guarantee. You are vacuum sealed. You are held on. And Paul goes on to say in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He ain't letting you go. I just want you to know that. He is not going to let you go. Because he started this work in you. You're in his hand. You're sealed. And he started this work. And you're going to see it. He's going to see it through to the end. That is a promise, beloved. And if that doesn't give you peace, I don't know what else will. This completeness, this wholeness, this wellness. And it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. In John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. We talked about this verse a little while ago. Do I give to you? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, this peace of God, it's, under, it's not, a, it's, I mean, in, in, unless and until you're in the word of God and understand how it's helped you through, it surpasses all, wow, I can't even understand why I'm in such peace about all that's going on around me. My world is burning. You know, every, I've lost everything, but I'm good with it. How, how can that be? And it surpasses understanding. And everybody's looking at you and saying, you know, what's wrong with you? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm good. You sure? Yeah. You know, because uh, you don't look too good. Well, you know, that's okay. I, I, I've, I've needed glasses for a long time, so I don't look too good. You know, I, I can't see that well. And maybe it's a good thing. Because I don't want to see everything around me, you know, because I, I, I have confidence that God has everything in control. He's sovereign. I believe in his sovereignty. And whatever happens in my life, it's for his glory. So whatever it is that he wants to do in my life, then let him do it. You know, because I'm, I'm good. 
the peace of God. And it surpasses all understanding, all thinking, all under, knowing. How is that even possible? You know what? That peace is going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This Christmas, when we think about the Prince of Peace, the Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, when we think about Jesus Christ being the Prince of Peace, and we'll talk about this next week. When, he, when the, the angel said he comes to bring peace on earth, peace to those on whom his favor falls. He didn't come to bring peace, his divine peace to the whole earth. I think we sing that song and we build a theology out of that. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconcile. God does reconcile sinners. <laughs> we will next Sunday. But we believe that Jesus Christ came to bring peace on earth. When, as I said, next Sunday we'll see, Jesus Christ didn't come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. He came to bring a sword. You think I came to, he says this out loud, out of his lips. You think I came to bring peace on earth? No. I came to bring a sword between mother and father. Uh, between son and daughter and, you know, between in-laws. Yeah, you know what? There's going to there's gonna be a commitment that you're going to be called to make, and, and that's going to bring division. you got to hate your parents more than you do me and love me. If you love me, you got to hate your parents. He's not saying hate them with anger or ira or, or with, with hatred. He's saying you have to prefer one more than the other, not hatred. When God hated Jacob, uh, Esau, but he loved Jacob, he preferred one more than the other. It's not that he hated him. We'll talk about that. Your commitment to Jesus Christ is going to cause division. Just know that. And you probably already experienced that. Let me ask you to stand. Beloved, please take these notes. It's a divine peace. It's a direct gift from God. It is available daily, and it exists in every development, in every circumstance. And, and it's there. And what, what keeps us away from that peace? Well, disobedience, sin, our own stupidity, trying to do things our own way, live on the world's peace, believe that what the world has to offer is better than what God has to offer. And we do that when we do things crooked, wrong, worldly. I pray that you understand this peace that God has given you. Father in heaven, thank you. Oh, for this, this, this time, this, the, the word that you give us, Lord, this is just awesome to know, and I pray that we can understand it, and not only understand it, but deliver it to others, that others can see that there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. The world doesn't have to be in such turmoil, but it's unfortunate that most of the world is unbelieving, and it is a sin for a believer, a genuine believer, to not experience this peace, as your son said, that an unbeliever should worry. Oh, ye of little faith. And so, Father, we come before you, first and foremost, confessing our sin to you. <clears throat> the time I didn't have peace, the time I did, I had turmoil in my life, the time that, that I just could not understand what was going on in my life, and I didn't trust you. And I tried to run my own program and do the things. Father, please forgive me. And I pray that each one of us can come to a point right now where we recognize and we see that. 
And so, Father, first and foremost, forgive us, and we confess our sin to you. And we will lean more upon the peace that you give us directly, that you give us daily, that you give us in every circumstance, this divine peace. So, Father, we thank you for that. As we depart this place, help us to understand that. The world's going to smack us right in the face the moment we drive off this lot. The moment we walk out this door, that Satan's going to be there trying to destroy this peace that only you can give. And I pray that each one of us can be strong. Thank you, Father, for the spirit of Christmas, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen and amen. Go in peace.